Despite having grown up in the church every Sunday, Tim Booker realized he didn't know as much about the Christian faith as perhaps he should when a friend at work asked him what it was all about. Tim's search and growth in his knowledge led him to become a minister with the Anglican Church and to serve as a chaplain in the Australian Army. I met with Tim in Sydney to talk about his time in the Army as a chaplain, as well as the amazing breakthrough he saw in Dave Jensen, another of our interviewees. I'm Carl Fays, and this is my interview with Tim Booker. So Tim, how did Christian faith become a part of your life? I was uh, really blessed to be born into a Christian home. My uh, folks are Christians and um, back then I, I, I came home from the hospital uh, and uh, went to church that very first Sunday and uh, went every Sunday. But back then we really didn't have much of a, a kids program or youth program. So all I did for my Christian faith was go to church on Sunday. And so I, I didn't know a lot. So I leave, uh, finish school, start working in the insurance industry and I'm um, at lunch. Uh, one day with a mate of mine and uh, he's clearly getting interested about spiritual things and uh, he asked the question so what um, what's this Christian thing about and he's clearly really serious he clearly wants to know and I'm going I have no idea how to answer this question and, uh, and so I'm going this is a very very important question I've got to answer it properly so there's uh, listen there's God it's about God and uh, I'm scrambling around trying to, there's Jesus, it's God and Jesus, you've got to believe in God and Jesus and uh, the Bible, God, Jesus and the Bible. I think that's a trinity. <laughs> anyway, I'm just scrambling an answer and as, yep. I'm, as I'm trying, I've, I've just, in my head, I'm going, you're an idiot. You've been going to church for 18 years of your life and you don't know what Christianity is about. And uh, anyway, I did my best there and I said, I'll get back to you. And I go, go back to work and I ring um, uh, the new assistant minister at my church. Chris Edwards, who's now the Bishop of the, of the Northern Region. So Chris, Chris, what, what do I believe? I don't know what I believe. And uh, he just started it at our church at Ingerdine in Anglican. And um, there was about a dozen young guys and girls my age in that late teens, early 20s, who we'd been brought up in that church, but we'd suffered because there was none of the uh, good kid mm. stuff, good youth program, Bible studies. We hadn't done any of that. So he's the one who got us together and started reading the Bible with us and uh, then doing a bit of a training, how to, how to share the gospel, how to defend the gospel. And within a year, we were, were all completely transformed. I reckon we were probably all Christian, just like this, just, mm -hmm. just enough to be saved. Jesus saves me, yes, I believe that, but no depth. And, but within that year, uh, it had all changed and uh, the, the, the faith was strong and we, we, were all, we were all inviting friends to church whereas before we wouldn't talk about it because we didn't know how, mm. how to answer mm. the question what do you believe as a Christian? Yeah. So that's, that's it all changed So why, why ministry? Well, once that started, it didn't stop and so I loved uh, trying to drag mates along to church I loved talking about Jesus that crew, we then started a youth group at Ingerdine Anglican. There was no youth prior to that. We started it and it took off and we loved it. And um, then this, this, I blame Chris Edwards for this. He said, you should think about ministry. And I've gone, well, that's for other people. I, I, you know, these ministers would just come to our church and I didn't know how they got there or the background. That was for other people. But he planted the seed. Mm -hmm. And uh, then um, my wife, Anna and I got married and he took us to a Moore College open day. And uh, at the end of it, we loved it. Uh, we're driving home with him in the car and he goes, oh, what do you think? And we've gone, I think we should go. 
I remember sitting in the back seat of his car, I think we're going to go to more college. And uh, that's, that's how it started for yeah. me. Now, the, another big step in your life was it's one thing to be an Anglican minister, which you are, but then to put your hand up to be a chaplain. Why be a chaplain in the armed forces? Uh, well, God, I think, had been working on that for years uh, before it happened. So at school, I was, I was in the army cadets, loved that. Finish uh, school and a, a good mate of my dad's is a sergeant in an army reserve unit, one commando company. And I was fit, doing a lot of triathlons and rugby and he goes, you should join up, you'd love it. And so I joined up and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I only did that, did that for one year because my Christian life is really ramping up and that sort of gets in the way of weekend ministries and stuff. So I eventually stopped that. But um, anyway, the seed was there. Start at, start at Moore College and then the bishop to the Australian Defence Force, there's an Anglican bishop to the Australian Defence Force, who would have, who would have thought? <laughs> he comes to the college, does a bit of a promo thing on the need for good chaplains. And uh, again, the seed is sown there. Uh, but you've got to have done three years in parish life, in a church. Mm. Uh, so you've got some, some good pastoral skills. Yep. Anyway, providence of God. Leave, finish college and end up at Liverpool Anglican Church. And there's a couple of young engineering captains there that are uh, at, uh, based out of Holsworthy Barracks. And uh, they're very good evangelists. I, get, um, I start doing some evangelism explained, uh, Christianity explained courses on, on the base. And they, they start going, you should think about army chaplains. And uh, anyway, they dobbed me into the, the, the new bishop to the Defence Force who rings me up and we start chatting. And uh, I wasn't interested in going to Townsville or Darwin, but he said, there's an opening in Holsworthy with mm. the Airborne Battalion. Do you want it? And I've gone, Chad Duana, yep, we'll take that. Because that way we could stay at our church, Liverpool Anglican, and marry up the ministry at Holsworthy a whole lot better. Yeah. What do you think is the role of an army chaplain? Because for a lot of people, they would think it's kind of a bit odd that there's sort of a religious leader is working yeah. in the army. So yeah. what is the role of a chaplain? The chaplain, he's, he is in charge of the spiritual morale of the unit, the battalion. Mm. Um, you know, you have, you have psychologists, they do their thing. Social workers, they do their thing. But the... And the doctors, they do their thing. So you've got these specialist officers, mm. right? We, we are called SSOs, specialist service officers. And the chaplain's specialty is the spiritual side of life. And historically, chaplains have been in defence forces for thousands of years because when you're about to get killed or about to kill someone, when you're going to war, you think, what's, mm. what's going to happen next? What does God think of this? Me killing people? Uh, and I could die here. And you can't not think about the big things in life. And so chaplains have that really privileged role of talking about the big things of life to, to mm. the soldiers and sailors. Yeah. Michael Gladwin wrote a book called Captains of the Soul about chaplains. Yeah. Is that a fair description? It's a great book and a great description. Yeah, Captain of the Soul, I love it. Yeah, it's mm. really good, really yeah. clever. The army is very hierarchical. Yes. Where does chaplaincy fit in the hierarchy oh this is it's a it's a brilliant role because you are the only officer who can talk to any level you can go to anyone and speak to them you have that freedom that nobody else does in a unit so it's a very privileged uh, role and brings great responsibility because they trust you to talk to anyone at any level about anything. So any, the, the, the CO, the commanding officer, down to the newest private soldier into the battalion, 
can come to you to talk to you about anything. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a great position. Yeah. So you turn up at Holsworthy. What's the reaction like? Well, they're always a bit nervous because uh, some chaplains are very good and uh, some aren't so good and you've got the whole range. So they're just waiting to see what you're going to be like. So I get there and um, uh, I start straight away doing as much as I can with the soldiers. So you have PT, physical training every morning from sort of 7, 7.30 for at least an hour and a half. And so I jump into that with the guys, go to different platoons and uh, try and get to know as many guys as possible. And then uh, in my third week in the battalion, the CO rings me up and he says, oh, Padre, yeah, this is how we talk, Padre. Uh, the, the, the next, uh, I was panelled on for the, the uh, parachute course in July. He was going to give me six months to get a feel for the place. Anyway, he goes, Padre, you know, opening's opened up uh, in the next para course next week. Are you good to go? Yes, sir. That's the only answer to, to the CO is yes, sir. And uh, so you've got to be uh, pretty fit. There's a, there's a little entrance test you've got to do. So you've got to be able to do 60 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 10 chin-ups, and a 2.5K run in a set time. I was going to say in a set time? I mean, give me a three weeks. Yeah, no, okay. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> set time, pretty quick. Yep. And you do that, and then if you can do all those back-to-back, -back, then you are, then you're on the course. So anyway, he was, he wanted to make sure my fitness was up. I said, yep, I'm good to go. So I go down. The para course, it's three weeks at Nowra, and it's three weeks in hell. It's the toughest three weeks of my life. And, uh, but uh, there's about 70 guys on the course. Most of them are from 3RAR, the third battalion that I'm a part of. Some are special forces guys that haven't done the course yet. But uh, you do that course and you are best mates for life with that crew. You know, you, are, you will look after each other. You'll lie for each other. You'll die for each other. You'll kill for each other. That's how tight it is. So that, that's the sort of phrase. And so you get back to the battalion with those guys. There's a, a special parade when you've come back. And those that have passed, you get your, uh, your wings. And that's a massive thing. And uh, you're, you're then part of the, the airborne brotherhood for life. Because you know how terrifying it is to jump out of aircraft, you know how full on that course is. So you really respect mm. anyone who's passed that course. And it just brings a real brotherhood, a real, the camaraderie in these, in, in the airborne battalions is, is fantastic. Yeah. There's, it's an interesting balance, isn't it? Because you need, as a padre, to connect with these men, but you can't be their friends. Is that right? Like what, what's the line there? How do you, yeah. how do you work that out? Yeah, that, that's correct. You, um, you can be friends, but you don't want to get into the wild side of living. Um, that, that really messes with your ability to help them and for them to listen to any Christian message you're going to share. So, uh, you know, there are dining in nights, for example, that you get invited to because you're the Padre. And um, at a certain time after the, um, the, the three courses and the, and the toasts are on, you're, you're hanging around for a little bit. Then it, when it starts to deteriorate, <laughs> time to go. Time to go. Yeah. So they appreciate that you're there and they pr appreciate that you don't preach moralism when they're on the, on mm -hmm. the cans and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were at Holsworthy, were the soldiers open to Christian things? Yeah, they were. The, uh, the pressure cooker environment that exists in these battalions is incredible and you can't not think about the big things in life. So when you um, join 3RAR, you do your, your, your para course down mm. at uh, Nowra, that's full on. And when I was there, uh, I was the most popular uh, person down there because people want to pray. Um, it's terrifying. I I've never prayed more than I did on that para course. Dear God, and, and it's a simple prayer, dear God, make sure I don't die today, you know, look after me. <laughs> 
And but people instinctively, dear God, help as you're going as you're going mm. out that door. Mm. Everyone's a believer, and dear God, help me here. Like that's that those your first step. You do seven jumps to qualify as a paratrooper, and you're praying hard, and uh, you feel it down there. And and the the other thing is, of course, you're the padre. You're the God guy. And, and I've been talking about God and stuff. They know I'm mm. not shy and, and, and I'm not an idiot. I, I say, I've got some good answers to some of their questions. So they're getting interested in it. When there's the God guy down there, they've got, it's like they've got permission to talk about it. Mm. If there's no God guy there, everyone's got to be tough and not talk about it. But, but it's there in their head. You can see it. And so, but when, when the Padre's there and he's connecting with them and they're starting to ask questions and the, the answers, they like the, the sound of the answers and stuff. Just stuff comes. And then you come back to the battalion and picture this, you're 18, 19 years of age and then uh, you say, the, the legal officer brings you in and says, listen, we're gonna do your will now. Time to write your will. Where do you want all your stuff to go when you die? You're sort of going, well, what do you mean I need a will? You could die here, mate. Mm. And so you're jumping out of planes, that's terrifying. You're writing your will and you're, you're a trained killer, uh, and then the operational tempo is very high back then when we were there, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, East Timor, Solomons. A lot of people are being killed. You, you're avoiding being killed. Some of our guys are being killed. That's, uh, that's a pressure cooker environment and you just, a lot of guys. I, I had, every day I'm having really deep, serious conversations about the eternal things. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, John Dixon's book, Simply Christianity, I gave 300 of those out in my three years at the battalion. And I would give those to guys that were really interested and wanted to take it further. Mm. And um, that's, that's how much um, spiritual uh, 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 work was going on there and how alive they were. You were at Liverpool Anglican. Did some of them start to come to church? Did some of them uh, start to engage in Christian faith? Yeah, yeah, they did actually. We saw several uh, guys become Christians. Some were married and their wives also became Christians. And um, at the end of those six, six, when we came home from a deployment, we had a little Thanksgiving service here and hundreds of guys showed up and it was, it was really special. So that was nice. I also started a Bible study at my place at Wattle Grove. Main, uh, uh, some people from church were at it, but it was mainly to get the, the army guys there, but also just to help them to meet some civvies and to meet people at church. It was a great, great Bible study too. This podcast is brought to you by the Ministry of Olive Tree Media. Our vision is to create a library of resources that tell the story of the game-changing message of Jesus. This interview was recorded for our latest documentary, Faith Runs Deep. Our other award-winning series, Jesus the Game Changer and Towards Belief, plus many other small group, church and school series are available on our Watch Plus platform for a small monthly partnership. As you partner with us, you not only get access to compelling video content and interactive discussion guides, but you also support the creation of more resources that help share the gospel message. To become a partner and get access to Faith Runs Deep, visit olivetreemedia.com.au. You talked about deployment. So where were you deployed? So I got deployed to the Solomon Islands, you know, five, we had a soldier die over there. Um, you know, six, I went back to the Solomons at the very beginning for a Thanksgiving service. And then, then a lot of stuff happened. So we had a soldier die in Iraq. So I went over there to Iraq. I was meant to stay there longer, but then East Timor erupted. So I had to come back 
because our unit had moved to Townsville and then Darwin was ready to go in. So I, I get a call when I'm in Baghdad from the CO, Padre. <laughs> uh, Timor's erupted, we've got a warning order. Uh, by the time you get back, we'll be in Townsville and uh, give me a call when you're back in the country and we'll get you up, I'll keep you updated on where we are. So I had to fly back. So I leave, I'd been home for, I hadn't been home for weeks already because of the Solomons, because of Iraq, because of this young soldier who died. And then um, I get home and uh, ring, the, ring the, the CEO and he goes, listen, stay, in, stay at home for a day because I'm not sure when you're coming back. So uh, we didn't know, when we left, I said to Anna, could be, we, we might not go into Timor, we might go into Timor, might be a couple of months, might be six months. Anyway, I left and it was six months we were away for. And so, you know, you had guys um, had, pl had planned their weddings and planned other big things and uh, that all had to, that all got stopped and stuff. Anyway, so we, we went into Timor, that was 06. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is it like being a padre, a chaplain in, in Timor, uh, in, in a war zone? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, 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 again, it's a real privileged position because people see you and they know you're, they can, t they can talk to you about the big things in life. And the whole range of things. There's often dramas at home when you, um, when you, with these short notice deployments, and um, so they just involve you in any and everything, every part of life. Yeah. So we save some marriages. Um, we save some big problem issues back home with other family members. And just when you're up there, the other thing is um, that there's no one's no one's going away anywhere. Everyone's together the whole time. And so you just got this great time to talk to these guys. Um, at the time, you, no one could carry a mobile phone. So there's literally no distractions. And um, in these deployments, there's a lot of action and then there's a lot, of, a lot of hurry up and wait. And so there's a lot of great time to chat. And so I'd, uh, our guys were fanned out all over the country. So I'd get chopper rides everywhere and spend a week here, week there, week there, and um, just talking nonstop, running church. So, what does church look like in a war zone in Timor? Yeah, a bit different, yeah. <laughs> it's you and a Bible, basically. And you just sit down with the guys and uh, pray some prayers and uh, read different passages and then do a little talk and then open it up to, uh, to questions. Yeah. And, and again, of course I know them all so well, there's uh, good conversation, good questions, and there's no rush. So, uh, people take their time. In that sort of environment, people tease out their um, spiritual questions and needs and stuff. Really, really good. So is there more interest in talking about spiritual things in a place like a war zone? I, I think so, yes. Um, I, I reckon a lot of people have the spiritual questions bubbling away there. And then in certain places like war zones where they, they know there's someone they can talk to, that, that teases it out. Um, yeah, so there's that that spiritualness in most people, that spiritual awareness. I don't think I've ever met a, a real genuine atheist. Well, maybe maybe very few. Most atheists I meet, as you get chatting, they've got spiritual questions. Even, even the soldiers, it's cool to be an atheist. But then as you get to know them and know their lives, and uh, the, there's a spiritual heartbeat there for most people. Mm. In all this time, you got to know Dave Jensen. When you first met Dave Jensen, what was he like? Uh, well, actually, when I first met Dave, he was in year 11 at school and I was at Moore College and uh, we, we did some training. We were out for, I was going for a run one night and he was, and we just started training together from there. 
So we stayed in touch as I left Moore College, he left school and did his life. And then he joined the army a little bit before I, I joined up. So he was down at, um, at Duntroon studying down there. And then when he graduated, he went to two RAR and I'm at uh, three RAR. So every now and then we bump into each other at exercises. But Timor was the, the big thing when we moved up to town, our battalion went to Townsville. Uh, I caught up with them and then we, most of two RAR were overseas, but there was a, a fair number left. They jumped in with our battle group and Dave was there. So then I started, I, I caught up with Dave and saw just how bad the situation was. <laughs> What was he like? He was out of control. <laughs> so the marriage was imploding, was officially about to end and um, it had knocked him around and uh, he was living a very bad life mm. and um, you could see it. There was this nastiness in his eyes. There was this out of controlness in his eyes. He was really upset by the marriage imploding, of course. And... Um, he was in a bad place, yeah. yeah. What did you think his future was then? Uh, well, I was a bit worried about that. Um, I wasn't sure what his, his future was, um, but I, I started praying that, okay, this is, this is where he's gonna bottom out and God, I pray, this will, this will be where God brings him, him back here, yeah. yeah. When he called you, were you surprised? Uh, yes and no. Um, I've seen people become Christians for, for from all sorts of backgrounds and troubles and so on. And uh, so I was surprised because it, it, it's, it's beautiful when it happens, but it's always a shock when, when you see this turnaround and the, the spiritual lights are on and he's, he's keen to come back to God. So I was surprised, um, but excited, really excited about God, God's clearly now working in him, mm. bringing him back. Yeah. What, what do you recall of the conversation? Well, he'd, he'd finally realised... Um, that he was not living for God. I think when you're bo born and bred in a good, strong Christian home, you know it all. And you think, because you know it all, you're Christian sort of thing. I think that's where his thinking was for many years. But he clearly was not converted. And uh, the fruit of that was in his life. There was no Christianness in his life at all. And, um, but this was all starting to change in the conversation. God was clearly working in him and he was still clearly starting to realise you're not just a Christian because you're born in a, you, you, your parents are strong Christians and you've been to church all your life. Mm. There has to be that personal decision, not only to repent of your sins and believe Jesus, but put Jesus in charge of your life. Now, when you're a proud, big Australian army officer, that's the big thing is humbling yourself to put Jesus in charge. So that was, I could see that was the battle. He knew Jesus had saved him. Uh, but the life change was, was that, that, and that was, a, that was an arm wrestle for some time after that conversation. But clearly God was working and I know that God, when he starts his work, he doesn't stop it and he wins. So I, I knew it was just a matter of time before he fully gave himself to Jesus. In a call like that, do you feel like, well, gosh, should I be a counsellor or do I be direct? Yeah. What was your response? <clears throat> Yeah, it depends, doesn't it, on what's going on. But I'd known Dave for so long, and he just, at that point, needed a bit of directness. And um, I called him out on some lying. He'd been, he was just a serial liar. And I called him out on it, and he, it sort of knocked him around. He could, and I, I'm glad it knocked him around a bit. It sort of knocked a bit of sense into him. And, because uh, it's not, not, not just me that can see that, mate. It's other people as well, you know, and it's an ugly part of life. 
But you do that when you're covering stuff up and when you're not being truthful and honest, you know. Whereas Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. You know, we live a different life now. We live for him. If we do the wrong thing, we fess it up. And uh, of course, you know, when you come to Jesus, you become a forgiven sinner, not perfect. So I just confronted him with that thing in particular because it kept coming out in the conversation. And um, anyway, he's... In, pre, in, in conversations post that, he's, he's mentioned that was a thing that just sort of jolted him um, to confess that sin and, and sin generally. Well, as, you, as you look at, see Dave now and what he's doing, what do you think? Oh, it's just a beautiful, miraculous transformation. Yeah, God's done that incredible work. This series is called Faith Runs Deep. How do you see faith running deep in our nation? Yeah, listen, there's a great verse in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. It's, it's there. The eternal things uh, are in us. We know there's something beyond ourselves. And, uh, you know, we're in, in, a, in, a, in Australia where atheism's cool and we're, we're trying to crush, crush spiritual things. But it's there and I see it all the time. You know, in a place like Guildford, everyone believes in God. Just sort of different versions of God, right? But every, there are... There are hardly any atheists in our area. And even in, in, in battalions and in, in my family, many of whom don't go to church, uh, when they go to a, a funeral or a Christian event or I drag them along to Easter, that wonderful news that Jesus died to defeat death so that we don't have to die and go to hell. His death f brings the forgiveness of, of, of my sins and his resurrection guarantees my resurrection to eternal life. It's a big story and it happened and people know it happened. And it's when you hear it, you think about it. And it, um, it, this is where it's up to Christians to make that gospel news attractive by living the Christian life well and openly and honestly and by not being ashamed to talk about Jesus. We, that, that eternal thing is in people. We've got to try and help tease it out and bring it out of people. It is there everywhere. Thank you for joining me on this podcast as I unearth stories of faith in Australia. To watch the full Faith Runs Deep series and all Olive Tree Media content, go to olivetreemedia.com.au and sign up to the Watch Plus platform and partner with us today.